from the National Catholic Register. This is Register Radio, bringing light and clarity to the news and topics that affect your life. Pope Francis and the bishops of the world consecrated themselves, the Church, humanity, and specifically the countries of Russia and Ukraine to the Immaculate Heart of Mary on March 25th. Why was this event so important, and what more can be done for peace? In answer to those questions, Register Staff Writer Joseph Pronishin offers us a refresher on the messages of Our Lady of Fatima and how we can better follow her direction. Then we have an editor's corner to look at Pope Francis's new constitution on the Roman Curia, the sixth anniversary of Mother Angelica's death, and a new Catholic news agency in Mother's name in Erbil, Iraq. I'm Jeanette DeMello, Editor-in-Chief and Executive Director of the National Catholic Register and your host here on Register Radio. As usual, I'm joined by Matthew Bunsen, EWTN's Executive Director and Washington Bureau Chief. He'll join me for the second segment when we have an Editor's Corner. But first, we have Joseph Pronishin, who's a Register staff writer, a very long-time Register staff writer, who writes from Connecticut and has been following Our Lady of Fatima's messages, Uh, forever, it seems, and really giving those, breaking them down uh, for the Register audience for so many years. Joe, we are so thrilled to have you today to unpack what happened yesterday. Oh, thank you very much, Jeanette. Yes, it was uh, quite exciting to uh, see the Pope uh, uh, consecrate uh, uh, the world, and uh, specifically mentioning Russia this time, and Ukraine. And and remember, over a thousand years ago, in a sense, they were both part of the same landmass, so to speak, exactly. the Slavic landmass. Uh, and there should be uh, no question at all at this time of people still uh, were questioning the 1984 consecration of uh, uh, St. John Paul II, uh, because uh, uh, he did not mention Russia specifically. He was going to, and then last minute he was talked out of it. Yes, um, let's unpack all of that, Joe. Mm-hmm. Let's, um, let's unpack all of that, because here we have, I mean... Uh, <clears throat> We've been talking about this now for about two weeks because it was announced two weeks ago, you know, that this would happen. And, and, uh, and it really, it happened quite quickly. Um, but it, the c- kind of question remains, right, after 105 years after the Fatima apparitions, 93 years after Sister Lucia's uh, message from Our Lady um, was confirmed in 1929, how did Pope Francis, um, or why did Pope Francis, you know, feel the need to to consecrate the world and Russia specifically to uh, uh, the Immaculate Heart again. I mean, why was it necessary? You just mentioned one of the consecrations that already happened. Uh, so how, how do we find ourselves here again, um, you know, consecrating the world and Russia to, to Our Lady? I would say specifically because uh, the world seems to have uh, just gone downhill uh, uh, since Our Lady promised that era of peace, because, um, you know, it, it, it all ties into free will, too. Our Lady promised that era of peace uh, for Russia and all, but uh, that all ties into people's free will if they're willing to accept it and all. But obviously seeing the um, uh, horrendous tragedy going on now uh, that Russia is causing in Ukraine, uh, I think that would have uh, really propelled him to, to do this consecration again, and this time, so there would be probably no question in people's minds, he, he's mentioned Russia specifically. Uh, and uh, as I said, there was a little bit of uh, 
controversy from some quarters at one time, mm-hmm. even though Luce, uh, Sister Lucia uh, said that even though John Paul II did not mention Russia specifically, he had so in his heart, he says in pectore, uh, and as he consecrated the world, and um, uh, uh, she, she said that heaven accepted it uh, at that time, and she said that over and over and over again. But now, I mean, this is rather exciting, so to speak, if... Uh, uh, if uh, once that Pope Francis has um, uh, consecrated again the, the world, specifically mentioning Russia and Ukraine, uh, uh, and at the same time calling on Our Lady to bring peace and uh, uh, unravel the uh, uh, you know the horrors of war over here and, and bring uh, and bring peace again to the countries, we should all be thrilled with that. At the same time, to do our part. Exactly, and I want to get to that in a minute. So this indeed is the first time during one of these world consecrations uh, to Our Our Lady that Russia's name is mentioned specifically? Well, no, actually it was mentioned before. Pius XII had mentioned this back in the 1940s and early 50s. He had consecrated the world twice to the Blessed Mother, and uh, specifically mentioning the Russian people in the second consecration, which was done um, it, it, via a, a, a document instead of a, a speech. But the problem was uh, he did not fulfill the requirements by having all the bishops in the world consecrate with him. And that was a specific calling uh, of the Blessed Mother. She had uh, wanted the, uh, all the bishops of the world to uh, consecrate the, the world and Fatima to her Immaculate Heart, along with the Holy Father. Um, and then Paul VI did something similar, but again, without the bishops in the world. And the, the first time in 1982 that uh, John Paul II consecrated the world, and if he even had Russia in his heart, he didn't mention Russia, and he didn't do it with, in union with the bishops of the world. Uh, now, we have to assume if not every single bishop you know, takes, partakes in it, uh, that's their problem uh, in that regard. I, uh, you know, I don't. I hate to put it that way, but the, the Lord is not going to say, "Well, uh, uh, you know, we're not going to accept the consecration because this bishop decided he isn't going to do it." And, and that's what happened with John Paul. He had as many of the bishops as were able to join him join them, and some, you know, something may preclude a bishop from joining. Uh, maybe they're ill or something, or in the hospital. You never know. Right. So anyway, um, this time. Pope Francis really got the word out quickly to the bishops, sent them the, uh, uh, gave the, them the invitation, sent the um, prayer to them so they should be all set. Uh, and they were all set at that particular time. And it's amazing, I think, that uh, the publication um, of the text of the act of consecration this this past week was was very important. It was done in many many different languages. Um, mm-hmm. It was it was published in many languages, so as to to urge and and to make easy uh, this act of consecration. I think that's very important. Uh, Father Raymond D'Souza wrote of this. Um, consecration of Russia as an ecclesiastical earthquake is, is how he named it. And that, that article can be found at ncregister.com. It's called Pope Francis's Consecration of Russia is an Ecclesiastical Earthquake. And, and part of the reason is because of, of how, um, how Pope Francis did act to get so many people uh, so quickly um, to be involved in this consecration. But also, you know, Joe, you mentioned, for whatever reason, Pope John Paul did not specifically mention Russia. And there are those who say that he didn't because of, of kind of, in a way, out of respect for the Russian Orthodox Church, um, in, in a way, um, it just almost 
it's almost kind of weird to say it, but almost for like political reasons, not to, to mention it specifically. Whether that was right or wrong, you know, good reasons or, or whether that decision was um, was the right one, it was made, you know. And um, yeah. Paul Kengor wrote about that piece of, of John Paul's uh, consecration in a piece that he did this week. But the fact is, is now there are no qualms about um, calling out <laughs> the Russian people and even calling out the Russian Orthodox Church. That's the point that um, Father Raymond D'Souza makes in a piece, uh, in that piece about the ecclesiastical earthquake. Uh, because at this point in time, so many have seen um, Patriarch Kirill as just being um, uh, you know, uh, doing the bidding of, of Putin and find that problematic. And so it's important to recognize that uh, the church is now, the Pope is now willing to call out that and, and to say, come on, let's be church, let's be together in this, let's, um, let's seek world peace. And, and I think this is is hugely important aspect of of the event of consecration. But Joe, uh, many times already in this conversation and, and in many, many other conversations, you bring up this very important fact. It's Our Lady who has called for this consecration. It is Our Lady who have given us a path of peace. Uh, and, you know, the popes have, have cons- made the act of consecration before. Um, and yet there's a big part of this that has been yet undone, even if Pope Benedict, excuse me, Pope Francis and uh, Pope John Paul before him have done the consecration exactly as it needed to be. What more needs to happen for peace, Joe? Okay, there's a, there's a two-part to this. And, and by, uh, by the way, uh, Jeanette, everything you said is, uh, uh, was exceptional. Uh, and what an earthquake it is, yes. And we're Heaven calls us, the Blessed Mother calls us to take part in this. Uh, she said, this is her specific words from July 13th, uh, 1917, when she appeared to the seers. She said, I shall come to the world to ask that Russia be consecrated to my Immaculate Heart, and I shall ask that on the first Saturday of every month, communion of reparation be made in atonement for the sins of the world. That's all in one sentence she said that. Uh, so there's two parts, the consecration, and then the other part we have to do, the five first Saturdays. She, she came back later in 1925, and she specifically gave directions for that, how that was supposed to be carried out by the faithful in the Church. And, you know, we look around and we see, uh, I, I, from all that I've done about Fatima and all the research I've done about Fatima all these past years, there are very, very few people who carry on the, the five first Saturdays. And, and uh, uh, that requires, is very simple, you go to um, uh, communion, uh, uh, you go to confession, uh, you go to communion on the first Saturday of the month, offer reparation for this, especially for the sins of the world, and especially for the blasphemies uh, committed against her Immaculate Heart, and that came from Jesus herself, uh, himself, rather, through, um, uh, through Lucia. Um, and you spend, uh, you, you do five decades of the rosary, and you spend uh, 15 minutes uh, in meditation upon the rosary, the one decade or the whole rosary, uh, you said, or, or some aspect of the rosary, uh, uh, with our Blessed Mother. Um, and, and, and so it becomes, uh, it becomes habitual, in a sense, after, because you, uh, those people that I know that have uh, finished, uh, if you want to say, or completed the um, first Saturday devotions, uh, it's natural to continue doing the first Saturdays. You just don't want to stop. 
Uh, and if we do that in en masse, so to speak, as we should as a church, I mean, that's the second part. So we need to fulfill that. If the Pope just fulfilled his part, finally, we've got to fulfill our part. And that's, that's essential, essential. And, and people have to realize how important that is. And anybody can do this. Even shut-ins can do this. If they can't get to church, you know, even a shut-in can do that and, and do a spiritual communion, I am sure, Rod. Uh, but uh, but everybody should be able to, to get uh, the Five for Saturday's devotions going. And April 2nd started on April 2nd. That's the first Saturday of April. And uh, and show Our Lady that um, uh, we're, we're, uh, we want to be part of this, as she said, as she asks us to be. Uh, it's, and it's so important, Joe. I mean, this mm-hmm. is this is such an important part of Our Lady's message. I mean, she also asked for the daily rosary, but these first Friday, excuse me, first Saturdays of reparation, and in an article Edward Penton did on this very topic too, the consecration. Uh, he had many of of the experts of Fatima, including um, uh, Cardinal Raymond Burke, who who has long been saying the reparation part of this is unfulfilled. We need to do the the five. Uh, the five Saturdays. So it's it's great to hear you making this call. I want to call all of our listeners uh, uh, to attention to your article. It's the consecration of Russia doing our part is kind of the short link uh, that if they search those words at our site, they will be able to find your article. And, and included in that is how you can go about uh, fulfilling your part of this um, call of Fatima. And really this call is simply... Uh, that we too be consecrated and make reparation in everything that we do to Our Lady's Immaculate Heart. Joe, I, I just want to thank you over and over again for the the amount of dedication you have put into making the Fatima message known. I think it's extremely important. And as you mentioned at the start, our world needs it. Um, we need this for peace in our own hearts, um, but also peace in the world. Yes. Well, you're welcome to that, and uh, thank you for having me on, and I'd love to share that Fatima message with everybody, and, and hopefully they'll all hop on board. You've all been listening to Register Radio on EWTN. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, Matthew Bunsen joins me for an Editor's Corner, more about the news of the world, and also about the sixth anniversary of Mother Angelica's death. Stay tuned here on Register Radio. This Lenten season, read, reflect, and revive your faith with EWTN's National Catholic Register. Only the Register provides trusted news reporting and in-depth analysis that's always true to Catholic teaching. It informs, inspires, and equips Catholics to engage the world around them with the truth of the gospel. Let the Register accompany you, help you go deeper spiritually, and enrich your journey this Lent and beyond. Try it for free today and get it delivered to your home, office, or parish. Get six free issues today online at ncregister.com forward slash radio or call 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. That's ncregister.com forward slash radio or call 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. The National Catholic Register. Read faith Let's return to Register Radio on EWTN. 
Welcome back. I'm Jeanette DeMello, Editor-in-Chief and Executive Director of the National Catholic Register. I'm joined by Matthew Bunsen, EWTN News Executive Director. Matthew, good of, good of you to join us for this second part. You missed a great conversation with uh, Joe Pronishan about uh, yesterday's uh, wonderful consecration and how we can do our part. Um, but there's just a lot of news going on. Um, especially it's relentless, I think, it's is the best way to put it. <laughs> very good word. <laughs> it is relentless. I mean, we're not even going to talk this um, this segment about you know everything happening kind of in the country, um, the new Supreme Court um, nominee and hearings and all of that. That'll be for another day. But, um, but really, there's so much going on in the church. And... Um, you know, at the start of of this week, uh, there was the the publication of this very long-awaited uh, new apostolic constitution for the the Roman Curia, uh, Predicate Evangelium. So, preach the gospel. Uh, I mean, when I say long time coming, I mean how many years has it been? It seems like in in Francis's first year. Um, it was known he would be uh, reforming the Roman Curia. Um, how long have we waited, and what what exactly was expected of this um, this constitution? Well, you could say that uh, this is technically nine years in the making because uh-huh. Francis embarked on this almost from the moment of his election, and you can argue that he was elected in order to help to do it to do yeah. this right this is one of the the big things that uh, what they call the general congregations uh, all of the members of the college of cardinals who were going to be voting in the, in the conclave in 2013 that this was a major topic for them uh, the reforming of the curia of uh, vatican finances and of course dealing with the clergy sexual abuse crisis all of it is touched on in this document but you could argue on the basis just of that that this is a conversation that is more than a decade uh, in the making in the sense that this was such a major topic, especially at the end of Pope Benedict XVI's remarkable pontificate. So this is a decade in coming, and now the question is, what is going to be said of this a decade from now? And that, I think, is what has a lot of people a little, not worried, but uh, eager to find out, uh, given the mixed results that we have seen so far in some of the first uh, efforts at reform leading up to this. Yes, I, it's, you know, when we, whenever we talk about the Roman Curia in a, in a forum like this, you know, um, you just wonder how many of our listeners are, are their, not their eyes, but their ears are glazing over, I suppose. <laughs> you know, right. what, what the heck does the Roman Curia do? Why does it matter? How does, how does it affect us? And, um, you know, on the face of it, there are things like the congregations or the councils that um, that went into governance of the church, or you know, changed to this kind of nebulous term, dicasteries, and um, and and Father Raymond D'Souza pointed out, like, who talks about dicasteries? If this isn't it, if this is a way of making this governance more relevant, then that's not a good sign, right? Right. Um, well, I love the fact in one of his analyses, uh, the, and he's been writing some brilliant pieces of late for us. Not that he doesn't, didn't before then, right. but uh, his analysis of Predicate Evangelium I had a great line in there on that very specific word, dicastery. He said to his spell check every time he typed it, kept trying to change it to disaster. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. And and yet, so far, I mean, we can com- we can joke about that, but so far this doesn't 
there, there's nothing to think that this is this is going to be a disastrous consequence, no, no, right? Exactly. You know, <laughs> in fact, some feared um, uh, for a while that they might change the the congregation for the doctrine of faith, now called the Dicastery of Doctrine of Faith. They might change the authority of that. Um, of, of, of that uh, department, um, but that really didn't happen. No. Um, in, in fact, part of what has happened is, um, and, and almost everybody has written about this, um, is that there is a, a kind of going back to the heart of the mission of the church, mission <laughs> being the heart of the church, you know, and, and evangel- evangelization, evangelical outreach, it has become... Um, just a primary uh, part of what this is is calling for, as it has been a part mm-hmm. of Francis's call from the very beginning. How does this document do that and reflect evangelization having a, a greater role? Well, there are uh, two important things. Uh, the first is um, in this new listing of all of these dicasteries, uh, and that is, a, think of it as a sort of flattening out of the Roman Curia, the central government of the church, which is really what the, the, the Roman Curia is, to be at the service of the popes who are themselves at the service of the, of the whole of the church. And the list, however, still matters. What used to be La Suprema, which was the congregation now Dicastry for Doctrine of the Faith, was always first in the listing of the great congregations. That's now second. Evangelization is first in the list. And Pope Francis has pulled together two very important offices. The first is the Congregation, now Dicastry for Evangelization, under Cardinal Luis Tagle, and then the Council for the New Evangelization, which is essentially created by Pope Benedict XVI, put them together. But where the popes used to consider themselves to be the prefects for the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, Francis has now installed himself as the, as the head or prefect of this massive evangelization uh, dicastery or office. So that tells us right there how important this is to Francis, uh, that it is first in the listing and he himself runs it uh, with the assistance now what will be two technically called pro-prefects. So I'm going to go back um, to maybe... At this point, maybe the only real point of criticism I've heard, um, uh, Andrea Gallarducci, who writes for Catholic News Agency, is a part of the WTN News team, as well as Father Raymond D'Souza, have, have said that this, um, although it's a flattening, right, uh, into mm-hmm. dicasteries, it's also making the church a bit more bureaucratic, or the Roman <laughs> Curia, a bit more bureaucratic, and the Pope uh, has an even enlarged role. What, what do they mean by that? Well, as uh, with any bureaucracy, uh, everything is going to hinge now on cooperation and collaboration. And in order to make that work, uh, you are going to have to have a lot of interconnections among different offices. So, for example, the Secretariat of State, which did not itself lose uh, much power, which also had been rumored would be the mm-hmm. case, has the task of helping to organize meetings and all of that collaboration. It still is also going to have a major role in staffing and how all of that works. And then uh, you have all of the offices for the economy that are designed, at least intended, to help with financial reform and transparency. Now, anyone who followed the torturous uh, (laughs) misadventures of Cardinal George Pell in his efforts to reform the Curia can tell you just how hard that can be. 
all of that has to then mesh. The Secretary of State has to cooperate with the, all of these economic offices, and then together they have to work with all of these dicasteries. So you're absolutely right. The potential for bureaucracy, red tape, and even bloat uh, remains. Uh, as, and as often happens, there's the risk, whether it will take place or not, we don't know, but the risk that you take different organizations, put them together, and somehow nobody gets fired, and you end up hiring more people. <laughs> there's the bloat, exactly. <laughs> there's the bloat, I, right. Yeah, there's the bloat. So there'll be plenty more coverage on this. I think there's a lot to be seen. It doesn't come into effect until uh, June 5th. Uh, it, the register will have some some articles that focus on various aspects of this, but it, it should be very interesting to to see what impact this really has. Um, I did want to mention, though, I, you know, a couple other things before we close this this segment. Um, I, I, I mentioned at the start the sixth anniversary of the death of Mother Angelica that was on March twenty seventh, twenty sixteen, and here here we are, um, March twenty seventh, um, Sunday. Uh, 2022. Um, she she left us and and went to to her reward, uh, and I'm really happy to to say that on Friday was announced um, something that would have been just remarkable to her, um, Asimena, which is. Um, this new Catholic news agency, so our, our sister agency, Catholic News Agency, has um, uh, uh, offices all over the world, by sometimes by different names like this, Asimena. Achistampa or uh, Achistampa. Exactly. Um, and this one is in Erbil, Iraq, and it's in the Arabic language. So, of course, they'll be feeding news to a Catholic news agency um, to be translated, but really... It's to provide better news coverage of that part of the world, but even for those who speak that language, just to have a better sense of what's happening in the world at large in their own language. That's what right. more it's, do it's, you know? Mm -hmm. well, it's similar to ACI Africa, uh, which covers uh, in several languages uh, what's happening in across the continent of Africa. And in this case, it's uh, Asimina is Middle East and Northern Africa or North Africa. And so that gives you an idea of just how expansive this coverage is going to be. The key there, though, is its placement in Iraq and its use of the Arabic language. So I think this is going to be an important outpost uh, for us at EWTN News to cover stories that we might not otherwise hear, but also to keep that spotlight very clearly on the persecution and suffering of Christians in the region. Yeah, it's a hugely important mission, and I think um, Mother Angelica would just be smiling on this initiative and, and, and really pleading heaven for it. Uh, so I am uh, so grateful that um, we had this chance to kind of go through all the news of, of, uh, of the week. I will mention one last thing as we're about to close here. Two years ago, uh, there was an Irby at Orby. Um, this is a, an address by Pope Francis addressing the pandemic. This is when he stood there um, adoring uh, our Lord before the world who was uh, quarantined. And it's just a good reminder as things have opened of, of that important leadership, but also our continued prayers for those who are suffering through the coronavirus. Remember, for more news, analysis, and commentary, to check out the National Catholic Register online at ncregister.com. Thanks, as always, for joining us here on Register Radio on EWTN. For Matthew Bunsen and our producer, Jeff Burson, I'm Jeanette DeMello. Until next week, God bless you.